0: Happy summer solstice, folks, from the State House Takeout. And the, the rain's held off most of this Friday. Feels like a nice summer day. Colin Young, Katie Lannan, and Matt Murphy.
3: It's pouring rain out right now. It, oh, when we came down, uh, <laughs> it was the sky had opened up. We have curtains
0: in the room. Uh, well, um, all the same, happy summer solstice. Um, we started this week, Matt, on Beacon Hill with uh, a really. Uh, packed state house, all for a hearing on an abortion access bill before the Judiciary Committee. And not only was the Gardner Auditorium packed, but so was overflow spaces in the Great Hall and Room 428, and the hallways were crowded. Uh, This was all over this abortion access bill that one side characterizes as uh, a part of health care and health care as a human right. The other side says it's, says it's tantamount to infanticide. What was the vibe? Did these two sides clash on Beacon Hill or did they stay mostly civil?
2: Yeah, I think that was actually the motto, Sam, on a, a lot of the pink t-shirts. Team Pink, which was pro-Roe Act, had t-shirts that said abortion is health and health care is a human right. And uh, they were here to make their case for the Roe Act, which uh, would codify the protections provided for in the in the Roe v. Wade uh, decision on abortion rights, but it would also expand access to abortion here in Massachusetts, uh, allow for abortions in, in certain cases of fatal fetal abnormalities uh, beyond 24 weeks. So that would be an expansion of the definition of uh... what would be allowable for those so-called late-term abortions uh... it would also eliminate a parental notification requirements uh, for youth uh, to get an abortion so this is really a controversial issue and we saw uh, a number of people uh, organized by the Renew Coalition the Massachusetts Family Institute and others rallying outside the state house and then inside the state house this was team red Uh, (laughs) they were flooding Gardner Auditorium in the overflow rooms
0: we did hear Uh, some of the sides referring to each other as red and pink yeah exactly
2: uh, in in opposition to this bill and they were quite a number number of them. They were obviously very concerned about uh, expanding access to abortion. And this is going to be a tough issue moving forward for leaders to kind of uh, figure out how to thread the needle, especially with Governor Baker saying that he supports current uh, Massachusetts abortion laws as they are, uh, though he has hinted that he could be amenable to uh, some uh, changes depending on what they look like.
0: And uh, there was a poll out last week. This was the Suffolk Boston Globe poll, right, that showed that a majority of uh, surveyed registered voters in Massachusetts uh, support the uh, primary feature of this bill being the after 24 weeks abortions in these certain uh, particular cases.
2: Yeah, there was support in that poll for both the main provisions of this bill, overwhelming support for uh, expanding access to abortion after 24 weeks in cases where uh, families and mothers find out that the fetus is unlikely to survive after birth so that uh, those mothers would not have to carry a full term Uh, But uh, the question of whether or not to eliminate uh, the uh, parental notification laws uh, and requiring parental consent for uh, minors to get an abortion, that was a much closer uh, division among voters, basically an even split.
0: Right. So um, what are the other concerns that moderates might hold about this bill, folks who aren't uh, polarized on one side or the other?
2: Well, I mean, the parental issue is certainly resonating with moderates in the legislature. I mean, that's one of the biggest hurdles that uh, proponents that... Uh, Speaker of Pro Tem uh, Patricia Haddad knows that they're going to have to get over to get leadership on board with this and uh, get this through uh, the House and the Senate and to the governor's desk. She even hinted that she's open to uh, uh, amending this proposal, working with the committee as they review it and trying to make this a better bill, as she said. So uh, there is some uh, wiggle room and appetite to perhaps change this. And you've seen uh, the governor. Even uh, suggest that he does not uh, think it's necessarily right that a woman who knows that their uh, pregnancy is unlikely to result in a healthy child uh, that they should have to be forced to choose whether or not to carry that pregnancy or travel to another state. He said they should be able to get the care they need right here in Massachusetts. The question is uh, the language. and and how they approach this. And the governor is also obviously concerned about the the parental notification language as well.
0: Right. Speaker Pro Tem Haddad said at the press conference that day that with the bill in the hands of the committee, the committee, I think her quote was, we'll make it a better bill. So she's envisioning some kind of change. in in Exactly. So,
2: uh, you know, what that looks like, we don't know. Could they could they walk back some of this language could they take out some of these provisions and maybe try and come back to them another session if they can get the the 24 week uh, provisions in there and return to the parental notification at another time right uh, and and try and make take that time to make people more comfortable with it but uh, proponents do think that the more time they spend uh, talking to those with concerns, uh, the better they've been able to convince them and show them that uh, their fears are unwarranted. But certainly there's a lot of uh, apprehension about this uh, proposal out there.
0: Yeah. While the hearing was going on on Monday, in a semi-regular uh, scrum with the triumvirate there, the Senate president, the House speaker, and, and the governor, uh, all three, I believe, withheld comment on, on the Roe Act, right? Pending the committee process.
2: Yeah, they're all deferring to the committee at this point. And, you know, somewhat encouraging, I, I suppose, if you're a supporter, that this um, bill has now had a hearing. At one point in time, this two of these versions of this bill was sitting before two different committees, uh, the Public Health Committee and the Judiciary Committee. They resolved that. The Judiciary Committees now have this hearing, uh, which leaders have been uh, deferring to. And, and now we'll see what the Judiciary Committee comes up with.
0: Well, while we wait and see uh, when this next pops up on the agenda, uh, let's talk about the summer agenda, since it is the summer solstice. Uh, And uh, Katie, you you were writing this week about what's on the docket for the rest of this season. Uh, And the Speaker and the Senate President did point to a couple of somewhat specific points uh, when you talked to them on uh, Monday – uh what do we got coming up
3: well probably a lot more waiting and seeing um (laughs) (laughs) at this point we we did have a, a few priorities in the the near near term um sketched out uh the senate this coming week next week uh plans to take up the a version of the the janus bill the union dues and representation bill that responds to the 2018 Supreme Court decision um, that that's already cleared the house and it's going to hit the Senate floor next week. Uh, President Spilka expects it to pass on Thursday. A little foggier in the house at this point Friday afternoon. Uh, Representatives usually find out their plans uh, for the coming week late in the day Friday and we'll find out uh when they do <laughs> specifically yeah. yeah maybe some more specifics on what their what the bill is the vehicle for uh they're planning to take up we did hear from the speaker uh when i asked on monday he said they were looking at dangerousness legislation uh maybe a part of according to the speaker the the governor's dangerousness bill that's the the bill he filed uh, early in the term his first bill of the cycle um, that aims to make it easier for police in the courts to, to hold a defendant deemed to be a, a risk to the community, deemed dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we definitely expect to pop ah. next week. There's some some other things. It it could be budget season again. Oh, right.
0: The Speaker <laughs> noted there's, I think he called it the, uh, of course, all-important uh, budget. And it, I, it what's important.
3: more important than nearly $43 billion <laughs> in a, a spending plan for the state for a year? I did some math this week. Yes. Um, (laughs) I know, always a dangerous endeavor for a journalist, but. um, Better you than me. I I sat down and I I did some. I took a look at the last 10 budgets and found that they spent, um, on average, between 30 and 31 days in a conference committee. And if that pattern holds, um, this year the fiscal 2020 budget was sent to conference on May 30th. Uh, 30 days from that would be uh, June 29th, next Saturday, and 31 days would be that Sunday. So something to watch for next week. Um, Of course, if that budget doesn't come out of conference, there will still be some budget action on the on the um, table next week or in, in weeks to come. There's a supplemental budget for 2019 and an interim or, or one-twelfth budget for 2020. So the government will stay open past July 1.
0: In case they don't actually finalize uh, the 2020 budget by the deadline. By right. The governor
3: will have, you know, 10 days to, to review it once one is sent to his desk and acted in the two branches. Right. Uh, and Katie, because-
2: Sorry, Sam, I didn't mean to interrupt, but Katie, I think your math, I, I like this, also found that <laughs> the last time the governor actually signed uh, a budget into law before July 1st was on June 30th, 2010, and um, the speaker actually called me out this week when I, I think I was laughing when I asked him, or at least smiling when I asked him uh, about whether or not he thought they were going to get an on-time budget this year, and um he, he called me out for kind of laughing as I asked the question and said, oh, well, you obviously know how important on-time budgets are to me. And it's true, the speaker con- talks about this constantly every year. Uh, and yet they have a, a, a seemingly different uh, definition of on-time because they think if they get it to the governor uh, by July 1st that uh, their job is done and it is on-time. But as as Katie's math has uh, shown, that doesn't mean that we have an on-time budget. Well, and
0: the speaker took office in early 2009, right? So... That would be two budgets that were on time in, in his tenure. And yeah, and, he, well, and continued continued he was
2: Ways w- and Means chairman before that. Oh, so. right.
3: Yeah. And, and, of course, we all still remember last year we right. were the final state in the country to get an annual budget in place. Last in the nation. Signed into law on July 26th after the, the conference report was released July 18th. Um, of course, there were many issues that mm-hmm. negotiators were hung up on. Uh, Last year, including uh, some immigration enforcement, which stayed out of the budget this year. Well, besides
0: those specific issues from last year, uh, why have budgets been so late for, for the past seven or however many years?
3: Well, I think that is a question for the, uh, you know, series of ways and means chairs we've had over the last nine years, because as we're regularly told, what happens in conference committee uh, stays in conference committee, as it were, and Mm -hmm. those negotiations are confidential. We often don't know what it is that um, people are. Haggling over or deciding at the last minute.
2: Part of it, though, don't you guys think has to be this process that they've baked in over the years? I mean, if you think about it, I'm not sure how many uh, days, but when they got into conference in the first week of June this year, I think, uh, you, your average, what'd you say, Katie, was the average time in conference?
3: 30.7 days.
2: Okay. So, I mean, that's not a, a, a ridiculous amount of time, but you have this process that's kind of been baked in where the house doesn't take up their budget proposal, uh, their reaction to a bill that the governor files in January almost every year. They don't take it up till school vacation week in April. Uh, The Senate doesn't do it until uh, basically the week before Memorial Day in May. And then you're starting these negotiations uh, in early June every year, trying to get it done by July 1.
1: And we know, especially in this building, deadlines uh, work to to motivate people. Uh, And if the legislature feels that the deadline is that it has to get the budget done by the end of June, uh, that may be part of why we see it come out at the end of June and then uh, not signed into law until uh, a week or a week and a half into July because, of course, the governor uh, has 10 days to review any legislation that gets to his desk and a almost $43 billion budget, uh, I think, is one that he would probably want to take his time with.
0: And there is this 112th budget, so-called, to tide them over in the meantime.
1: Yeah, they buy themselves a little bit of time with that. Yeah,
3: and while and while we're on the subject of uh, end of June deadlines uh, and rapidly running out of the month of June, um, the Senate Education Committee Chairman Jason Lewis has suggested that his his goal would be for that committee to put out their you know long-awaited blockbuster of a bill the the Chapter seventy Education Reform Bill uh, Education Funding Reform Bill. Um, you know, there's a, a question about whether that will be a pre-budget or post-budget thing. Um, certainly, there there's interest among a, a lot of people in getting something done very soon. Um, but the the budget takes up a lot of the kind of the, the legislative oxygen in the building. And I, I think you're going to, you know, see... Uh, advocates who are already frustrated, who have already been waiting in some cases almost four years to see uh, formula reforms maybe uh, dial up the pressure, especially if we see a, a budget get signed into law without a reform package uh, wrapped up yet.
0: Sure. And, and that's an interesting point that the budget, as you put it, sucks the legislative oxygen out of the building when it's only really six legislators themselves who are sitting in that negotiating room.
3: Yeah, that's true. Um, but you know, Two of them are the the ways and means chairs, and we do see most of the major bills move through those committees.
0: Right. Well, as far as the rest of the summer goes, uh, Colin, you know what else we have to look forward to uh, this summer?
3: What's that, Sam? Gambling.
0: Well, actually, no. (laughs) Hold your horses there, Matt. Uh, Someone's excited. Someone's excited. Um, well, actually, there is the final couple of days of horse racing uh, coming up, uh, but we don 't need to talk about horse races on this podcast but uh Except
3: to say that uh there is a end of July deadline for the legislature to reauthorize simulcasting and racing um, right. which is language in a in a house supplemental budget
0: but dropped by the Senate right
3: it, at least at this point they haven 't taken up that bill yet could be added in or or mm.
2: Bet you won't hear about that on the horse race podcast.
3: Finally, I get my podcast war.
0: Podcast war. <laughs> Actually, Colin, I was referring to uh, since you're a Red Line commuter, the uh, continuation of delays that are expected <laughs> oh. <laughs> on the Red Line throughout the summer. Serenity
1: now. <laughs> Serenity, now. <laughs> <laughs> Serenity now.
0: Sorry to trigger you there.
1: Um, Could be a long summer on the Red Line.
0: No, Matt. Matt was correct. I was referring to gambling because uh, <laughs> this this gambling. Sunday.
1: As far You mean, will you get to your destination on the red line or not?
2: That kind of gambling? <laughs> I mean, we, sh- we should point out that Chris Lesinski is upstairs in the news or somewhere else in the newsroom right now uh, writing a story about how the uh, red line will not be back to normal until at least Labor Day. So uh, check your inboxes for that later today.
0: Yes, indeed. Thank you. But yes, indeed, as, as Matt noted, uh, in just a couple of days on Sunday, uh, eastern Massachusetts, Boston area, gets its first taste of legalized casino gambling. Um, so, Colin. Hey, yeah, you feeling lucky, Sam? Huh? Are you? <laughs> you feeling lucky? I don't know. I, I might be there. I haven't totally made up my mind. I might gamble.
1: Well, there'll be plenty to see there. Uh, as I'm sure you've heard, over 3 million square feet uh, total at the Encore Boston Harbor uh, Resort Casino in Everett. Uh, due to open 10 a.m. this Sunday morning.
0: But just to zoom out here for a moment, Colin, since we are on the uh, verge of this momentous uh, opening, um, uh, what did it take to get here besides the $35 million fine?
1: Yeah, well, that was certainly part of it. Uh, to step back, let's, let's go all the way back first to 2011 when Massachusetts uh, decided to expand Uh, gaming in the commonwealth and at the time the legislature authorized up to three full-scale casinos and one slots parlor of course that slots parlor came online first plain ridge park casino down in plainville Uh, mgm springfield opened last august out in springfield as the state's first full-scale casino and this sunday encore becomes the state's second full-scale casino uh, to open and uh, Encore Boston Harbor uh, is the second name of this casino. Previously, it was to be called Wynn Boston Harbor because it is, of course, a, a, um, a product of Wynn Resorts. Still is, yeah. Still is, exactly. Uh, and Wynn Resorts is an operator that the Mass Gaming Commission had serious concerns about. Uh, a year and a half ago, things were just sort of humming along at Wynn Resorts, and uh, the casino was starting to go up on the banks of the Mystic. And then last January, the Wall Street Journal article alleging a um, pattern of sexual misconduct against Win Resort's founder uh, and CEO, Steve Wynn, came out. Uh, and since then, um, the Gaming Commission and the company were both uh, thrown into a, uh, a gauntlet of uh, legal challenges, judicatory hearings, legal decisions, uh, fines, and all of that. Uh, of course, everyone knows the story. At the end of the day, the Gaming Commission decided that Win Resort's is still suitable to operate the Boston area casino as long as it paid a $35 million fine. Its CEO, Matt Maddox, paid a half-million-dollar fine, and he has to undergo some executive-level trainings uh, as well. At the end, the Gaming Commission decided that it's in the state's best interest to have this casino open, to start pulling in the gaming revenue, about 5,500 jobs associated with the casino. Yeah, and
0: and how much did it cost to build this 3 million-square-foot casino? Well, when the project
1: started, it was supposed to be a $1.23 billion project, when oh, all is said and done, it is a $2.6 billion casino. Why
0: so over budget?
1: Well, Wynn Resorts says that uh, for that $2.6 billion, you can expect uh, a, quote, luxury hospitality and entertainment experience unlike anything the region has ever seen.
0: I would assume they were already planning on luxury with the 1.23, but (laughs) anyway. And they already have six weddings booked.
1: That's what they say, six weddings booked over the next uh, two years there. Uh, Part of the cost, too, Sam, is that this casino sits on 33 acres uh, of formerly contaminated land in Everett. Uh, So Wind Resorts put $68 million into the site cleanup, just to clean up the soil and and, and get that out of there. Uh, And then it was an additional 14 million dollars uh, in landscaping to then beautify the now clean parcel matt
2: maybe we can convince katie to move her wedding there
3: i think the deposit's already paid and that's a gamble i'm not willing to take
2: So <laughs> i have this vision of the popeye statue presiding <laughs> over Ooh. over your nuptials well, but
3: we'll see if we can make the popeye a
0: justice of the peace for a day all right, <laughs> all right. um But Colin, some folks are still skeptical. That is to say, one of the neighboring communities, the city of Revere, which is going to be watching very closely at how the casino impacts them, because they don't have one of these surrounding community agreements or or what have you.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the mayor of Revere announced this week that he's going to form a commission that is going to keep its eye on the casino and the impacts that that casino has in Revere. We're talking traffic, environment, um, uh, the effects on the businesses in Revere, uh, and like you said, Revere does not have one of these surrounding community agreements. Other towns in the area will be getting cash from wind Resorts from the Encore Casino on an annual basis to to make up for some of the um, headaches that are expected to come with it.
2: So, Colin, hypothetically, how should I get to the casino this
1: weekend? Well, the Encore folks say leave your car at home. They don't want you driving. Now, if you do drive, they have a uh, valet, and you can drive right up and valet your car uh, and go in and gamble. Uh, but they would much rather you take public transportation. If you take the T, Encore will have shuttles from various MBTA stops in the area that will bring you right to the property and then right back to the T after the fact. Uh, if you're downtown or in the seaport, you could try to hop on their uh, yes. water taxi.
2: Yeah, I want to take the boat.
1: It's going to be about $7 fare. How many uh, to people get fit there. on one of these boats? uh let's see i've handed uh, I, I want to say it's about an 18 20 person vessel
0: might fill up pretty quick with uh, what are they, so. are they still expecting fifty thousand people there for the sunday opening
3: another casino related question for you colin we've got your red line commute has been disrupted what what am i looking at for my orange line commute once the casino's online
1: that's a great question, because they're f- trying to get people to take public transportation, so they're definitely encouraging that. Uh, as you can probably tell more, uh, better than, than any of us here, the Orange Line, um, even without a casino, isn't necessarily the most pleasant ride
3: often fairly crowded.
1: R- right. So now that they're uh, trying to push people onto the orange line, onto the MBTA, um, I'll be interested to hear from you a week from now uh, how it's gone.
3: I will report back. Well, actually,
0: my uh, producer here just passed me a note Colin, that uh, it is uh, a 20 to 30,000 person estimate that Encore has. They're oh. estimating oh, 20 to 30. So we'll see what the good. final count Thanks is. to the producer. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right. Uh, thanks very much, folks. Uh, happy summer. And uh, we'll see you right here next week.
2: Don't lose all your money this weekend, Sam.
0: I'll, I'll try.
2: All right.
1: Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit Masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.